Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is The Morning Shift. In just a bit, we'll grapple with a movie that made me that has some difficult themes. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. But first, Chicago is facing a massive budget deficit. We're talking about somewhere between $700 million and a billion dollars. Here's Mayor Lightfoot yesterday marking her 100 days in office. We must transform the economic map of our city, create opportunities for every Chicagoan, and end the segregation and inequality that has defined us for far too long. But when she gives her State of the City speech tonight, well, we get some specifics. A.D. Quigg is the government and politics reporter at Crane Chicago Business. She thinks Lightfoot will give us a how we got here tonight and save the how we move forward for her actual budget speech in October. I was looking through some old reports to see where this, these rough estimates come from. So about $270 million is from a required pension payment. We're on a ramp to solvency for our four pension funds. About $100 million would come from uh, bad investment returns for 2018 on the pensions. Debt. City of Chicago, we've got a ton of debt, um, about $130 million in bond payments since the city moved away from scoop and toss. And there's an operating shortfall every year. We usually spend more than we take in. It should be around $250 million, but again, all of these numbers can move a little bit. And then there's also a new police and fire contract that needs to be negotiated. Those are always costly. And because those are expired, the city will be paying for retroactive payments. And then there's a lot of talk about police overtime and the cost of legal settlements. We don't know what those numbers, I think we'll be hearing about all of these. I don't know if she's going to put hard numbers on all of them. Again, this is earlier than a typical budget address, but mm-hmm. I think we're going to hear about a lot of that. And then Lightfoot has spoken broadly about her priorities for filling those. She said, we're not going to raise taxes that fall on the backs of working men and women of Chicago. They've been taxed enough. But that opens the door to, well, if not one big broad property tax, which is a very easy lever to pull, then what? Now, you used a term a couple of minutes ago, scoop and toss. Just remind us what that is. That is basically borrowing to pay down debts. So you're mounting on your debts with with future costs, which the city did for a very long time, particularly under Mayor Richard Daly and Mayor Emanuel took pride in kind of phasing that out. What about cuts? We know we're in a hiring freeze right now, but is there talk about layoffs in city government? The word layoff and furlough did come up yesterday in a press conference with progressive aldermen who were pressing Mayor Mayor Lightfoot not to cut too deeply. Uh, We saw cuts in Mayor Emanuel's first few budgets, uh, mental health facilities, some city services, things like that. She spoke in kind of piecemeal about savings that they found. There's, of course, this hiring freeze, which affects about 10% of city hiring, but she says that won't affect critical police and fire positions. So she canceled a line of credit that she says will save $22 million. She um, has moved the Workers' Compensation Committee that used to be under Alderman Ed Burke, worth about $100 million, to outside auditors after um, Burke was indicted and Alderman Scott Wagesback took over the Finance Committee. That could save some money. She also talked about $6 million in recycling and energy efficiencies. But again, we're looking at a, a, a big, huge hole to fill, $750 million. So this piecemeal stuff gets us a fraction of the way to where we need to go. Give us a better understanding of some of the options Mayor Lightfoot has in the short term to deal with some of these short-term issues, but also longer term to prevent the city from falling further into debt. Sure. So one 
that lever I talked about earlier, property mm-hmm. taxes, which is a tough lever to pull because Mayor Rahm Emanuel hiked taxes considerably also on water rates and the 911 surcharge to kind of start getting at these pension costs. Um, that's a dreaded one. It's politically fraught. Borrowing is also a possibility. There was a lot of talk about a pension obligation bond, about $10 billion in additional borrowing. But a lot of that depends on how well you can time the market. Lightfoot has also discussed a service tax on accounting and legal services. That would also require Springfield help. And again, Springfield might be hesitant to help raise taxes. And she's also discussed a real estate transfer tax. So basically raising the raising the tax when any property is sold. And she said, I, I would like to do that in a progressive way where it would only apply to uh, properties worth more than $1 million. We've seen some homeless advocates kind of push back on that and say, during the campaign, you promised that this would be dedicated to helping fund services to address homelessness in Chicago. But again, we've got to fill this hole. So she's got a lot of outside pressures from progressive aldermen who are saying, don't go after the property tax, don't go after water rates, don't go after stuff that hits working people in Chicago, go after things that hit the rich. That's something she talked about in the campaign. But one alderman said yesterday, according to briefings, this will be about shared pain. Well, as we know, Mayor Lightfoot marked her 100 days in office on Wednesday. What do you see as some of the big successes for for her so far and some of the places where she's coming up short? She kind of gave 20-minute sit-downs to a bunch of uh, print folks, and one one note she hit frequently was, I'm not Rahm Emanuel. And I, I've pushed people out of their comfort zone, but I've also opened the door to folks who probably weren't invited in for conversations before. She is always focused on equity and inclusion. These are two words we heard all throughout the campaign in all of her interviews. Um, and, you know, she's feisty. We've seen that feisty side. On the legislative side, big victories include this Fair Work Week ordinance, which mandates that employers give employees 10 days notice, up to two weeks notice of their schedule. And if a schedule shifts unexpectedly, they would owe workers back pay, essentially. There was also a a big raft of ethics reforms that passed in the wake of um, these federal raids on aldermen and state legislators. That's a big deal. She said, I don't think two and a half years ago, uh, we would have let Joe Ferguson into city council committees. That passed unanimously on city council. And an opening up of government. She said, "I've, I've let a lot more people at the table than I did before. I'm listening more. And I'm focusing on how we can lift up the least of those. She also previewed a couple things that she'll be releasing in the coming weeks. She said, I'll have a fully developed economic development plan, which Crane's readers are very interested in, and uh, a plan to address poverty. She says, you know, I'm hanging out in a lot of these neighborhoods and seeing these these children who don't have the structural support that they need to succeed. And I get in my big black shiny SUV and drive away and never see them again. And I want to do something that helps them their entire lives. And it's so important to make these interventions when they're young. What about areas where she's gotten less traction? Well, it's early. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to we don't want to criticize too much 100 days in. Mayor Lightfoot herself calls it a hallmark holiday. It's something that uh, the media has has followed for presidential campaigns. It's, it's a standard that we apply to mayors now. But this budget is going to be her big ask and also this uh, pending teachers contract that she's fighting with CTU about. I just want you to remind us that, again, the mayor will be giving um, some other talks about the budget, a series of town hall uh, meetings to explain the city's financial issues. What will be happening in those meetings? I think it's going to be a lot of listening. Town hall meetings are a chance for people to step up to the mic and tell Lightfoot exactly what not to cut and what to prioritize. So there will be four of those. There's also a city survey. If you just search City of Chicago 2020 budget survey, you can take it. It's quick, quick questions on take a look at what we're spending on. Should those be our priorities? So I I encourage folks to take those too.
And we will tweet out a link to that survey. Any last thoughts, things you'll be looking for in this speech? I want I want a hard number. Mm. And I want to hear a little bit more about um, how she's going to work with aldermen to, to accomplish that. She's got a lot of outside pressures. You'll be hearing the name Scott Wagesbeck a lot. You'll be hearing the name Pat Dowell a lot. She's the chair of the budget committee. And I'm, I'm looking to see what we hear from her department heads in the in these committee hearings uh, throughout October. It'll be it'll be interesting. That's Crane Chicago business reporter A.D. Quigg. Thanks, A.D. Thanks, John. summer, we've been asking notable Chicagoans the same question. What is the one movie that made you? That film that either changed the way you see things or that character that just stuck with you. And the movies have run the gamut from comedies like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Tis but a scratch. A scratch? Your arm's off. To classics like Lawrence of Arabia and the Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home. There's no place. Well, joining me now to talk about the movie that made her is Leslie Honoré. She's the executive director of the Clio Community Family Life Center. Leslie, welcome back to The Morning Shift. Thank you for having me. So I should say this all started because after we spoke with you a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about this series. And I said, well, well, well we should have Leslie on to talk about this. I wonder what her movie is. And your answer really surprised me. So tell me, what is the movie that made you? It is Gone with the Wind. Okay. (laughs) So why Gone with the Wind? So many reasons. Initially, I think the first time I saw it, I must have been maybe six or seven. Just the scope of the film, it was really long. And there was a fancy intermission. And there were all these beautiful dresses. And it was just extremely dramatic. It was like a telenovela, but a short movie version of it where, you know, we see Scarlett's whole life and the the ups and downs of it. When I watched it again as a teenager, and I had just really begun to birth my own activism, really changed my frame and how I, I saw things. I'm um, so seeing it again and kind of going, well, I didn't realize the light that they were showing slavery in was extremely disturbing. And then that led to me looking at other films from the time and even animation from Disney and really starting to explore how black people were portrayed and the power of the person who gets to tell the tale and how they get to form what the narrative is and how it's shared. And then as a woman, Scarlett challenges me to hold things in tension. So I hold in tension that abhorrence of slavery and Scarlett's character which is so strong and speaks to me how we we don't break we bend we throw off the dust we make a dress out of the curtains what you up to with Miss Ellen's portier you're gonna make me a new dress not with Miss Ellen's portier not while I got breath in my body great boy and my pretty ass now I'm going to land for that $300 and I've got to go looking like a queen and we keep pushing for ourselves and for our family even if it's, I'll, I'll think about that tomorrow. Well, I guess I've done murder. Well, I won't think about that now. I'll think about that tomorrow. All right, tomorrow <laughs> is another day. That's yeah. what you have to do. Mm-hmm. So let's unpack some of this. When a you lot first, to unpack. a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> when you first saw the movie, when you were six, what it sounds like to me is that you were attracted more to the the pageantry of it. Yes. Then, the, then you were really picking up on content. Mm-hmm. And what was it in that pageantry that appealed to you? 
I think it's what appeals to everybody when we romanticize the South and we romanticize that era of gentility. I use that in air quotes Mm -hmm. (laughs) of hoop dresses and beautiful things that I think young girls are taught to admire. That is the height of genderized femininity, of chivalry. It was just beautiful. So then you move into this stage of your life when you're more aware and you start to suss out some of the problematic racial mm-hmm. dynamics. Miss Collins, come on in the house. Come on in before you catch your death or damn. No, I'm going to wait for to come home from the Wilson. Come on in here. As a woman of color, were you still able to enjoy the movie at that point? I think yes and no. Yes, because it had already become part of my lexicon. You know, tomorrow is another day. I I use that to get out of studying often. (laughs) Um, I'll I'll think about geometry tomorrow. But it also kind of really solidified what I started to think about film and TV and radio as a whole. What was that? Well, in the early 90s, we were on the precipice of, of what we've come into now, which is really identifying and celebrating and fighting really hard for a black lens. And it became no longer just about representation, but about challenging, about pointing out um, historical crap, for lack of a better word, that surrounded us, that was in every corner of our existence and what we read and what we listened to and starting to unpack it. And so that's what it challenged me to do. There are some people who would very easily put the movie down at that point and never, never go back to it. But something led you back to this film as an adult woman. What was that? Separating Scarlet from the time as a writer, really understanding what Margaret Mitchell was able to do is to write a strong female lead at a time where our leads were only about their feminine powers. And Scarlett definitely used them. But she was smart, and she was resilient, and she bucked against every stereotype of what she should do and how she should fold. And people didn't like her for it. People didn't like Margaret Mitchell for it. And at the same time, it has fascinated us since 1939. As God is my witness, they're not going to leave me. I'm going to live through this, and when it's all over, I'll never be hungry again. No, nor any of my own. If I had to lie, steal, cheat, or kill, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. We're talking to Leslie Honoré, executive director of the Clio Community Family Life Center that's Keep Loving Each Other. And we're talking about Leslie's choice for our Movie That Made Me series, the 1939 classic film Gone with the Wind. So you have this character, Scarlett O'Hara, and all the things you just described about her. And then you have these other characters, these other black women Mm -hmm. who are also in the film. And I'm curious how you grapple with the way race and gender collide with one another. I think it's such a, a perfect example of how it collides in America. It is an American film. We look at Hattie McDaniels winning the first Academy Award as a black woman. Um, and then we learn that we had to fight just to get her to come to the Academy Awards and accept it. Um, we definitely look at the tropes of slavery. Oh, Lossy, Miss Scarlett! Uh, what is it? Lossy, we've got to have a doctor. I don't know nothing about birthing babies. What 
do you mean? I don't know. You told me you knew everything about it. And then later to watch documentaries when she says Vivian Lee actually repetitively slapped her in that scene. It was not a fake slap. And she had to say to the director in that classic tiny little voice of hers, this hurts, please stop. And the weight of realizing that she didn't say that immediately, that she endured take after take after take, and that Vivian thought it was okay to do that. Um, the step and fetch tropes, all of that is jam-packed in one film for us to pull apart. I mean, we could spend hours talking about Mammy. And that's the Hattie McDaniel character. Prissy, of course, being played by uh, Butterfly McQueen. Talk a little bit more about that character of Mammy. As you said, Hattie McDaniel won an Oscar for that role. And so much has been analyzed about that character. Where do you land with the character of Mammy? I don't know if I land anywhere. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, unfortunately, many black women have, have felt that no matter what our profession is, that we are supposed to be this benevolent nurturer, no matter what, and give you a hug and solve the problems <laughs> and, you know, fade into a character and not a person. Um, fade into the background. So it is those roles that were, you know, put upon us and then those roles that we had to wear to scratch our way to get to something else. So had he paved the way, there would be no one after her without her. Um, And sometimes how the vehicles that we use to get someplace for ourselves um, and for our people are not always comfortable ones, are not always bright, shiny, beautiful ones. But where would we be without her? And then at the same time, she was so much more than that role. But the typecasting of the time, how long did we have to fight to get out of playing those roles? And then still today, we are still put in those roles as black actresses constantly. So there, there is no amount of time to unpack that. We've got 400 years of it to unpack. When you think about the character of Scarlet. And, and you talked about her, her resilience, essentially. Where do you see yourself in that character? Oh, I see myself as trying to walk in those footsteps of I will never be hungry again. Mm-hmm. That scene where she's digging up yams. I've, I've had some difficult times in my life. I mean, it, no one comes through this path unscarred. If you do, I don't really want to get to know you because you're probably an alien. <laughs> We've all experienced things, but you do not let it stop you. You do not let it crush you. You do not let it break you. I think she was courageous and not the sense that she was fearless. She was afraid of a lot, but she didn't have a choice. And while everyone else cowered, Scarlet just pushed through right or wrong. She didn't stand still. Were all the decisions she made in her life right? No. Can I definitely relate to falling in love with the wrong person and staying there for too long? Yes. Um, Thank God it wasn't an Ashley type of man, though. (laughs) But um, she is a model of I'm going to put myself first long before that ever became popular. She's iconic and and not for the reasons of, of beauty, but of strength. Scarlett owned businesses. She was responsible for the whole economic freedom of her family, of them surviving. She was resented and ridiculed for it. I'm going to make money enough so the Yankees could never take Tara away from me. I'm going to make it the only way I know how. But we're not the only Southerners who suffered, Scarlett. 
Look at all our friends. They're keeping their honor and their kindness, too. Yes, and they're starving. I haven't got any use for fools who won't help themselves. Oh, I know what they're saying about me, and I don't care. I'm going to make friends with the Yankee carpetbaggers, and I'm going to beat them at their own game, and you're going to beat them with me. She did what she had to do to survive, and she brought people along with her, whether they acknowledged her or not. She just did. Are there certain scenes you find yourself going back to over and over again? Oh, yes. So absolutely the last scene, you know, when Rhett walks out into the fog, and frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. It's not like that in the book. Um, But in the film, does Scarlett cry? Does she toss herself onto the stairs? Temporarily. (laughs) For a moment. And then she puts her big girl panties on or her pantaloons or whatever whatever they were wearing at the time. Her crinolines or whatever. Exactly. And she says... I'll think of some way to get him back. After all, tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is another day. And we need to tell ourselves that sometimes. Tomorrow is another day. Stuff can go really bad, and sometimes you need to do a human reset, take a nap, go to sleep, dust yourself off. Nothing is completely over and ended. It's always an opportunity to rebuild, to redirect to grow. Nothing broke her. She was also not a character who was easy. She was not, and I'm using quotes here, an easy woman. She was emotional and high strung and, you know, really didn't hesitate to lash out if she felt the need to. She stole her sister's boyfriend. (laughs) Right. She's not an easy character to like. But the reason why I like that is because I think Women are taught we're supposed to be easy and likable. Men can have arcs of redemption. We are supposed to be soft. And Scarlett was edges, and she was demanding, and she was petulant. If she was a man, he would just be a man. So in the same way you found something really fascinating in Scarlett as a difficult character, make the case for a difficult movie. What isn't difficult? If we are talking about our country, we are not our beloved creed. We we will never even get to anywhere near that until we start having real conversations about what America is. When people talk about, you know, that's not who we are. Yep, nope, that's exactly who we are. We are a nation birthed on genocide, on enslavement, on murder. And out of that was born a country. That's our lineage. So if we don't talk about that, we don't find the, the way to have the words to have that discussion that we are going to, to stay in that space. Um, movies from that era reflect what we thought, reflect how people in the South still cling to that idea of the Confederate flag and what the Civil War meant. And if we don't have conversations about it, we're just going to continue to either put a pretty dress on it and not have somebody turn our hands over the way Rhett turns over Scarlet's and says, ah, you've been in the fields. You're lying. You just put on a nice dress. But I see what your hands look like. And I think sometimes that's what we do as a country. What have you been doing with your hands? Just because I went riding last week without my gloves. These don't belong to a lady. You've been working with them like a field hand. Why did you lie to me? And what are you really up to? Now, Red. In another minute, I'd almost believe you cared something. But I do care. Suppose we get down to the truth. You want something from me, and you want it badly enough to put on quite a show in your velvet. 
put pretty dresses on it. But the truth is, if we turn our hands over, we'll see what we've really have gone through. The problem is when we don't talk about it. So I should mention your your daughter's here um, mm-hmm. with us today, and you named her Scarlet. I did. What are the character traits you hope you're gifting her uh, with that name? Um, resiliency. I, I hope she she carries that, and I see it already. Charm. I think being charming is a good thing. I think we work in and live in a very abrasive space, and sometimes having grace can go very far for yourself and for other people. Strength. Scarlett is strong on film, and she's a strong young lady that I am happy to watch her grow and um, become a young woman, and I named her aptly. That's Leslie Honoré, Executive Director of the Clio. That's Keep Loving Each Other Community Family Life Center. And we've been talking about the movie she said had the biggest impact on her life, the 1939 classic film Gone with the Wind. I knew this was going to be a fun conversation, Leslie. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And that's it for today's Morning Shift. Like what you hear? Make sure you're subscribed and make sure to tell your friends. We come to you six days a week with great conversations about your city and your neighborhood. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and let's talk again soon. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.